is from Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, verses 7 through 14. Hear now God's words for you. The Lord proclaims, sing joyfully for the people of Jacob, shout for the leading nation, raise your voices with praise and call out, the Lord has saved his people, the remaining few in Israel. I am going to bring them back from the north, I will gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the disabled, expectant mothers and those in labor, a great throng will return here. With tears of joy they will come. While they pray, I will bring them back. I will lead them by quiet streams and smooth paths so they do not stumble. I will be Israel's father. Ephraim will be my oldest child. Listen to the, war, the, war, the Lord's words, you nations, and announce it to distant lands. The one who scattered Israel will gather them and keep them safe as a shepherd his flock. The Lord will rescue the people of Jacob and deliver them from the power of those stronger than they are. They will come shouting for joy on the hills of Zion, jubilant over the Lord's gifts, grain, wine, oil, flocks, herds. Their lives will be like a lush garden. They will grieve no more. Then the young women will dance for joy. The young and the old men will join in. I will turn their mourning into laughter, their sadness into joy. I will comfort them. I will lavish the priests with abundance and shower my people with my gifts, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the holidays are over. And in one way, it is sort of a relief. We look so forward to Christmas and the New Year's celebration that comes so hard on its heels, but it's over. We all know that the build-up toward these holidays or holy days is unrelenting. But even when we understand that Christmas is more than buying and selling and giving and all that stuff, we still allow ourselves to get caught up in it. And now it's over and all that's left is the credit card bills. And that vague sense of longing for that which might have been, but maybe we didn't quite find. Even when we remember that there are 12 days of Christmas, as Shane told us a while ago, Tuesday's going to be Epiphany. And you'll notice that the Christmas trees in the church are down. The wreaths are still on the doors, but they come off as soon as the weather lets them dry. And they won't go up for another year. It's time to get rid of the last of the holiday goodies, get back on the diet we came off of a couple of three weeks ago. School starts. College starts soon after that. And all the old things that we used to know, we will know again. One author writes, New Year's is an odd celebration when you think about it. We welcome a new year with parties and celebrations, but what is there to celebrate? We're another year older. Time passes on. What's there to celebrate in that? And then he writes, I think that one reason we celebrate the new year is that deep down inside, we hope the coming year will be just that, new. In the past, we've made our mistakes. There are things we wish we could go back and do all over again. We have come to a lot of dead ends, and therefore we truly long for a new year.
but that's not easy. We carry our old habits. Our old selves go with us and all the conventional wisdom we've built up over time. 2015, sound odd to you? Did to me when I wrote checks. Well, it's here. But are we still pretty much the same people we were at the end of 2014? Winston Churchill, who had such a fine way with words, said, Sometimes we learn from history, but most of the time we just pick ourselves up, brush ourselves off, and go right on living as we did before. And I fear that's the way it works. It's tough to somehow be new remodeled, renewed. We don't do new very well. I think one of the reasons we love to hear stories of people who have major changes in their lives for good is that somehow deep down inside we would like to have changes too. When you see the ad on TV for the latest diet and somebody's lost 200 pounds, it's sort of inspiring. Or you see the high school dropout who gets their GED and goes to college and makes something. That's pretty exciting. Or you come across the former addict to something who's now trying out sobriety and it's working out pretty well. That's inspiring. And I suspect that is why we are moved perhaps even more, when we find someone who, by the power of God's presence, has had the ability to change. We call it conversion. Sometimes we say born again, or some other language of change after an encounter with Christ. They're living one way, they're walking down the old custom road, and then they turn around and life is turned upside down or right side up. They had what an old TV show used to call an extreme makeover. We love those stories because deep down inside, we want to be made new too. Well, one of the claims of the gospel is that God makes all things new, even us. You believe that? I don't know. I want to believe it. The gospel says it. I should believe it. But you know, some days, how many people made their New Year's resolutions? I got a wonderful email from a guy standing back here at the back door <laughs> who reminds us that when we get a little older, we don't make New Year's resolutions anymore. And we don't because they don't last very long. Maybe it's because we overreach or we overplan, or we overthink, or maybe it's because our wants and desires and dreams have nothing to do with God's wants and desires and dreams. The truth is, I don't need a new resolution. I need divine intervention. How about you? The deeper truth is, we need more than some resolutions we need revolution. That's what we need. Deeper change than we're able to achieve on our own. You see, we know we live in perilous times. We've always lived in perilous times. And we know that believers who assume that 
If we just follow Jesus, it'll cancel out all that uncertainty. But you know that's not so. The truth is that sometimes when the light burns the brightest, it casts such a a glare that our eyesight's blinded. There are things we were once so sure of that time encourages us to look again and look at God because maybe we just didn't get it right. Frankly, it's hard. I think it's as hard for Christians as anyone else to adequately understand a God who says, I can make everything new. We hear the proclamation of the gospel. We want to fix what's wrong. But God's not our Santa Claus, nor our magic wizard who gives presents and fixes the mess we create. No, the first thing God does is invite us into a relationship. And within that relationship, we might just find the connection that allows us to begin that process of changing. You see, the story of scriptures is the story of God's interaction on behalf of wayward human beings. And it's not always in the way we want or expect. In the words of two eminently recognizable contemporary poets by the name of Mick and Keith. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you might just find. You get what you need. That's how my life's been. Not what I thought I wanted. But what God knew needed. Our lesson from Jeremiah is that God never, ever lets his people go. Jeremiah is one of the prophets that warns of the destruction of Jerusalem. And in the midst of that warning, knowing that the enemy is coming, he goes out and he buys a field. He buys a field that is probably already under the control of the enemy. Now, that makes just about as much sense of you deciding to buy a couple of million shares of a company that just recently went belly up. Doesn't make any sense. But Jeremiah knows that unlike the rest of the world, God honors his promises. He just doesn't know when. God told him to buy. The word really is not buy. The word is to redeem the field. God day, and God will one day make it make perfect sense. It's God's way of telling Jeremiah that God's love and oversight will not fail even in the face of the Assyrian army. And so now many years later, Jeremiah, who's been in captivity too, anticipates the coming of the Messiah and he is filled with that exuberant joy you heard in the Old Testament lesson. Shout aloud with gladness, Jacob. Give praise. I'm going to bring them back. And it's language that we use often in the communion service. East and west and north and south. 
And the young women shall rejoice in the dance, and the old men and the young men will join in. Sounds like a New Year's party to me. And a better one maybe than any of us had. But it's not a New Year's party filled with our good intentions. It's a New Year's party where God restores in ways we can't imagine. So I ask you again, do you think God really can make us different? you think God can help us to be more than we've been in the past? I've already told you, I struggle with the idea. It's not God I doubt, it's me. I know how hard it is for me to change. I believe it, at least I think I believe it when we talk about the spiritual things. I believe it about other people. I believe you can change. But I sure wonder struggle maybe with this idea that God can remake me. See, I know me. But I've so often failed to realize the potential of God's grace in me. And in addition to that, you know I'm getting a little bit older. And us older folks find it really hard to change. Old dogs don't learn new tricks so easily. At least that's our excuse. And maybe, just maybe, the problem is not whether or not God can change us. Maybe the problem is we don't want to change. We're pretty happy with it the way it is. Maybe that's the issue. See, Jeremiah knows that. He knows, too, the miserable condition God's people have landed in. And that's why he really does believe in restoration and redemption. God can make all things new. Our problem is we've never lived in captivity. Our lives have been basically so good. We struggle all the way through with this idea that we need any change, that we need to be redeemed. One of the great strengths of the church is that the church has always found a way to stand fast in the middle of the turmoil that surrounds society. It's done it for 2,000 years. One of the great weaknesses of the church is we are so hidebound. We are so stuck in the traditions of the past, even if that tradition is only 10 years old, that we have a hard time catching God's vision of the future. We want a world that doesn't have any uncertainty. Tell us what to do, guarantee that it's going to work out, and the results will be magnificent. We want a world free from uncertainty, and we're not going to get one. What we do get is the promise that God will go with us, lead us into that future, and in God's time, it will be better than we ever imagined. you think God can do a new thing with us, with our church? Can we learn to live with the uncertainty of the world still believing that God is at work creating new in us? 
The world is filled with people who see the church as a place of judgment, infighting, petty bickering, hypocrisy. And most of the world doesn't need anything more like that. They've already got enough of it. How well do we demonstrate the good news of Jesus to a world that's already written the church off? Can God change us and make us new so that we can get on with the real business of church? Jeremiah says you can. Jeremiah is convinced that human beings and human institutions can be renewed. For with God, nothing is impossible. What, four days into a new year? New challenges, new changes, new ideas, and God is in the midst of them. The world looks pretty uncertain. We know our own weaknesses and our failures, and yet whatever we've done, whatever we fail to do, whatever we assume that nothing will change, God stands ready. At our elbow, in our heart, to change us, to mold us, to take us places we've never dreamed of. That's pretty good news. No, it's not. That is the good news. The baby born in Bethlehem was born God with us. And God's still with us. So when God invites us to restoration... That's the call, to draw this year a little closer to the one who does make all things new. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.